This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. So, Africa's finest have been dispatched. Next up, reigning world champions, France. Are we going to get through this game? I'm sure we'll get into that. First of all, Lee, Jamie, how are you guys? I'm very well, thank you, Dan. Um, really enjoyed the game. And enjoying the team's progression. Really fancy our chances against the French. Yeah, I'm with Lee. We we watched it together on uh, on Sunday. And yeah, first 35 minutes is ropey. But if you can get for a ropey period like England did and then go and absolutely smash it out of the park, I'm not worried about the French. Senegal, shall we get into that match? Shall we, shall we have a look and uh, see what we all think? What we've taken away from that game? Yeah, definitely. Um, to me... We started a bit slowly, didn't we? Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's something that we're, we're not waking up. I do. I think it's part of the game plan. I do think we attempt to take the stinger to teams a little bit. They were always going to come at us. And I think Gareth Southgate said um, after the game that, you know, we made a complicated job look pretty straightforward. And it, and it certainly wasn't. And yeah, we were under the cosh a little bit at times. You might have thought to yourself, if another team came at us like this and got these chances, they might have even scored. But we, we did stick to the formation that we felt that he's always comfortable with against, in inverted commas, lesser opposition. So we'll see against against France now where he lines up. It'll be very interesting to see how he approaches that game. Yeah, I mean, say talk about how we lined up. I mean, there was no Marcus Rashford, was there, in the, in the starting eleven? Um, was that a surprise to you, Jamie? Obviously, he scored the two um, last week, but... You know, Saka came in and it was Foden who maybe kept the place in the, in the starting eleven up front. So, you know, so like I say, was that a surprise? Uh, yeah, I was quite surprised. I mean, obviously we'd seen the rumblings earlier in the day that Saka was probably going to start, and I assumed it'd be Foden that drop out. Um, very surprised that Rashford didn't start. How can you drop a guy who's scoring goals? Uh, but and anyone can moan about it. We won three 0 so, uh, and Rashford is saved a little bit for maybe the France game where he could maybe have a little bit more of an impact. I think Southgate trusted his players and was, as much as people won't say it, he probably did look ahead to the France game and thought, right, I can probably get more out of Rashford in that game than playing him here when I've got Saka and Foden who can do a job. Foden played really well as well. Yeah, I mean, 
leave probably it was a risk really because if it had all sort of got a bit tits up if you like then the knives would have been out for Southgate wouldn't they and not playing Rashford in that game but do you think is he is he sort of getting himself maybe a role as a super sub in this tournament you know England have got a lot of attacking players and his pace you know if if they've been manoeuvred already by say Saka and Kane's been you know pulling defenders here there everywhere and uh, and then you've got Foden with his trickery. Probably 20, 25, 30 minutes to go, the last thing they want to see is a fresh, pacey Marcus Rashford coming on. Is this, like I say, a designated role you think that Southgate's given him? Well, it certainly suits some of his qualities, doesn't it? He's he's fast. And as you say, he gets straight at defenders. He does seem quite composed as well. If it, You know, you, you fancy him in one-on-ones, that kind of thing. But I think it's fair to remember that we, we even said ourselves in the last pod that um, he, he scored a couple of goals uh, previously but uh, against Wales, but he he didn't actually look great in the first half, did he? He was having a pretty quiet game and he, he sort of came to life. Um, well, he scored the free kick, should I say. It was a fantastic free kick that he scored. And you, you remember moments like that, you know, but the, the bulk of his game in the first half wasn't that impressive and perhaps... Gareth Southgate is just really, really confident in switching the players round that to the degree where he thinks, you know what, I'm going to switch him round almost for the sake of it. Not not quite for the sake of it, but because he's got he's showing that much faith in them that, you know, do, should they need to adapt, it's just going to feel like the most natural thing in the world. So I do think that there's, there's a genuine reasoning behind it. I don't think he just doesn't rate Rashford at all. I do think, like you say, he's got a lot of attributes that, that lean towards a player that will make a, an impact against tired legs. He's intelligent and he's composed. So, yeah, I, I think all in all with Marcus Rashford, bearing in mind the absence he's had as well, you'll be very happy with the game time he's had. Yeah, and it's not as if he's, he's not as if he's been benched for a job or anything, as if he's, it's Phil Foden and Bukaro Saka that are playing. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, to the match itself... And obviously, you know, we've said we sort of started slowly. And for me, Jordan Pickford had his first real big moment of this tournament, really, um, in the you know, when he made them, that, that big save at nil-nil just before we took the lead. Um, nice to see that, obviously, you know, the Iran game, we didn't really have much to do, although they did score two sort of late goals. And then, obviously, you know, we've had clean sheets since. But the defence have protected him very well, and it was nice to see that you know when he was called on, he was he was there. Um, Jamie would obviously he does get criticism when he plays probably for Everton and that, and he never seems to let England down, does he? So he's another one who he's always there when England need him. Yeah, and when you look at the the best teams, they always have the best goalkeepers. And they they come alive. I mean, look at uh, Brazil uh, against Korea last night. And uh, Alisson had nothing to do for God knows how long. And then Son goes for a goal and he saves one-on-one. Just out of nothing. And I know Korea scored in the end. But they're the sort of game-changing saves that a big keeper, a world-class keeper, will give you. And that's what Jordan Pickford is for England. He is a world-class goalkeeper. Um, and he never lets the side down. And yeah, I think his performances for club are probably a bit up and down. But I also think Everton's defence is a bit down. So 
Um, yeah, if, if you're facing more shots, you're going to concede more goals. Uh, but he's standing up and being counted in the big moments, and that's what you need from a world-class goalkeeper. Yeah, exactly. And um, obviously with Jordan Henderson, obviously straight away after that to sort of save a couple of minutes later, England gone down the other end, and Jordan Henderson's given them the lead. One of the probably most unlikely goal scorers in the team. Um, but it was interesting how England set up because I think they gave a lot of a lot of um, responsibility to Declan Rice, didn't they? Because they pushed Henderson and Bellingham further forward, and Rice really, it our England's game plan all sort of was lent on him, and he had to protect the defence all, all on his own kind of thing, and let the others get on with it. And I thought he did the job very well. Yeah, Declan Rice was a solid game, as you know what you're going to get from him every single England game. He's, he's a 7 out of 10 every week, and then every now and again he'll go 8, 9, 10. Um, every single time England play, he is solid and dependable. But they were trying to play in in the spaces, weren't they, England, by pushing Henderson and Bellingham up, getting them onto the ball, because they've both got a pass in him, they've both got a cross in him. Um, I mean, I'd say Bellingham can shoot a little bit better than Jordan Henderson, but, I mean, Henderson scored the goal. Um, and as Bellingham rightly said after the game, start putting some respect on the man's name because he doesn't let anyone down. Yeah, and I think you can also see sort of the influence of Kane. I know Kane gets a lot of um, stick as well, doesn't he, for the amount of time he drops deeply. Yet, obviously in that movie saw as well, when he drops deep, it created the space. And when you've got people running forward from midfield, so then he's got four options in front of him. Then you can you can see the, the the beauty of when he does drop deep, he leaves gaps further forward when defenders follow him, and he he's good enough then to turn play the ball into somebody else and we create chances, and uh, you would think that maybe Jordan Henderson the space vacated from Kane was where Henderson run into for his finish. Quite possibly so yeah I, I think with Harry Kane um, and I'm glad to see these scored by the way, um, but even without him scoring as I said last time out. I just think he's been fantastic for the team. It, the fact that we do have such a young, intelligent side that is sort of willing to sort of gel and, and adapt to any particular formation or attacking lineup. We've got players that can play on the left, right, in the middle, but all, as I said it last time, they've all got this understanding with Harry Kane. And because it's there and because it exists, he, he can be his best player. And it'd be no good if we didn't have the, for, the, the forward-thinking players in tune with him. We realise what he's doing and do appreciate what he's doing. And he is a leader by example, that he just does his job. Everybody in that England shirt knows exactly what Harry Kane's job is. Nobody's dissatisfied with what he does. He's doing exactly what he should do. And he will still get goals too, because he is a, a top-class finisher. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's amazing that the amount of goals he scores... He's such a team player, usually with with like the real top goal scorers around. There's like a sense of ego around them, where it all has to be centred around sort of them, or you know they're they're, look, they're looking to get their name on the score sheet as as often as as possible. But with Kane, he seems he seems much more of a team player than than a lot of his sort of peers. Yeah, you have to be a team player when you play for Tottenham, I think, because. Um... I mean, <laughs> no disrespect to Tottenham, but they haven't won anything while Harry Kane's been this good. Um, so I think he's developed from from a young age at being 
more of an all-round player because he knows that if he if he's just the out-and-out goal scorer and he centers everything around him, he's not going to get anywhere anyway. Um, and he's, he's the way he was built. Um, was it Sherwood who helped him along as well um, from the youth teams? And yeah, yeah, I think he's just been brought up as a down-to-earth player and he knows it's not all about him and he's very humble and that shows in his football. Yeah, and as Lee alluded to, obviously quickly after Henderson's first goal came Kane's goal. And um, that gives obviously a 2-0 half-time lead. Interesting how the referee let the game go on, didn't he? I mean, did you see anything in those two minutes of injury time why he didn't blow up after the two minutes and give us those extra sort of 15, 20 seconds to get him and score that second goal? Not me personally, no. I, I no. didn't see where it had come from. Not, not within the injury time. I don't know if it's a case of still... Well, once upon a time, the, the time that went up on the board was the recommended minimum time, so the referee yeah. could... Yeah, extra to it anyway from any point in the half. So, I think if if ever there's a goal, if ever there's a goal scored after that, that's always sort of the line that the officials will go back to. And to yeah. this is a minimum yeah. amount of time. Yeah, yeah at least he um, didn't blow up ten minutes early. But but it was a nice um, counter-attacking goal, wasn't it? Again, obviously Senegal pushed forward and probably pushed a few too many forward. Maybe thinking there wasn't time to to get the for England to get down the other end. Um, but yeah, very slick, very quick move, and uh, Kane, yeah, he, he was never going to miss that, was he, Lee? Well, I, when he hit it and he was going sort of down the middle, I thought he had missed it, to be honest with you. But then the keeper's just going to flick it up off his, off his ankle or something, but I had, had faith, really, Harry Kane, in that position, needs his first goal, smashed it home, very satisfying. Yeah, you, you, you couldn't tell he hadn't scored yet in this World Cup, could you, Jamie? Uh, no, he uh, he took it home like the out and out goal scorer that he is. Um, and the, what what was the most baffling part about the whole move was that when we were watching it, me and Lee were both like, "Why has Bellingham not played that ball earlier?" And then we scored, and it's like I knew what he was doing. But <laughs> I still maintain he should have played the ball earlier. And then Foden played it too quickly once he'd received it. But we scored, so I can't complain. <laughs> you cannot second guess. Jude Bellingham. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. The man is on his way to being a legend, I think, for England at this young stage, I will say. I know he's got a long way to go, but the performances he's putting in already, I mean, this was another one, wasn't it? He was just, he was just sort of faultless, other than maybe holding onto the ball too long for that goal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he's just confident, he's calm, he's an all-round player. He's got everything that you'd want in a footballer. Um, and I think it was, I don't know if you saw the TalkSport interview with Ali McCoist, where he said, Bellingham's the type of lad who I would let, if I had six daughters instead of six sons, I'd let him date them all at the same time. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, but yeah, his, his game, Lee, was just outstanding again, wasn't he? He, was, he just it seems to, when he's in that in the zone for it, he just runs the game and everybody plays his game, don't they? Oh, what an amazing footballer to watch. He reminds me sort of like a, a Brazilian-type centre midfielder who can just get the ball at his feet, flick it between them, knock it somewhere, little one-two. He's just so aware of every sort of um, attacking opportunity and, and even if he's playing a bit deeper, he, he's still got that about him. Those kind of players, the few and far between, that have got that genuine ability to be able to just transition from 
getting stuck in in defence to playing a killer through ball or even taking a man on or getting on the end of a cross or putting the cross in. What an exciting prospect he is. And if his time in the Qatar couldn't get any better, I'm sure the news has now filtered through to you that Man United have pulled out the race to sign him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's thrilled. Um, <laughs> but to, to be fair as well, everyone who laughed at Birmingham City retiring the number 22 is now not laughing. No. Well, I think... He saved the club from going under at the time, didn't he? That was the that, yeah. was, that was why they retired his number initially. They were like, "Oh, thank you." Yeah. <laughs> now he's just landed perfectly. <laughs> yeah, we were we were just about to go bankrupt, and now we're flush with cash. Well yeah. done. And he could have made them more by going to Man United, and he didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not sure how I feel about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, Saka. We mentioned him earlier on. And obviously he's rounded off off the scoring in the second half, didn't he, with an absolutely cheeky goal. Just lifted it over the goalkeeper as he came out. Um, Great awareness, really, for me. And shows that, again, a very young but very intelligent footballer. Yeah, I think it's been um, instilled into him over the last sort of three and a half years with Mikel Arteta, because for all his faults at first, and everyone wanted him sacked at Arsenal, Mikel Arteta is a very, very good coach. Um, and I feel like he's he's developed Saka a lot. He's become a lot more spatially aware. His finishing's improved. He defends when he needs to defend. And just as an all-round footballer, Bakaya Sako is uh, Saka, sorry, is one of the best players we've got. Yeah, I mean, Lee. We, on the other side, we had Phil Foden. We obviously said he, you know, he gets his place on the side. He didn't sort of grab the headlines in this game. What did you think of his performance? Did he justify the faith of, of having the shirt? Yeah, you've got to look at the the team performance as a whole, and and sometimes some players they operate and don't stand out particularly. I, th- I think with Foden, yeah, you, you'd have liked to have seen a little bit more from him, a little bit more razzle dazzle. But it was an all-round competent performance. I don't think it was it was a bad game as such. And as we've seen, and, and this perhaps plays back into that a little bit. Let's just say, you know, he, he did have a poor game by his own standards. Perhaps he, he was disappointed with his own performance. Well, Gareth Southgate can drop him for the France game, and because he's already proved that Marcus Rashford can score too, and he gets dropped. It's nothing to do with that. He's just playing the right team for the day. And he gets a, a sort of a, a real good squad mentality that you, you don't have to be in the first 11 every single game to be considered part of the first team or part of the squad. So with with any of the forward players, really, even if they had a bit of an off day, we've got that much talent. There's always somebody else standing out, isn't there? And what a great luxury we've got there. Yeah. And I think... For me, he was very tidy. Um, yeah. He was tidy without being spectacular. Yeah. And he got the job done. Um, I do I, I do think as well that he's he's that good. Once he gets a run of games in this side, he's going to take some shifting, regardless of how good the other attacking options are. A little like and Bellingham. A little yeah. like Bellingham, yeah. Yeah, now Bellingham's had his sort of run. You know, he sort of benefited from... Calvin Phillips getting injured, anti Bellingham, so to come in, took his place, and never he's not he's not going to look back. He's he's just not going to lose that that shit now. And I do think with Foden, once he gets 
five, six games in a row, adds a couple of moments, and I think then you, you're going to see he's going to make it that difficult. The manager won't be able to to drop him out the side. Yeah, I feel like we're we're talking him down a little bit. Like we said, he didn't play he didn't play extremely well. I I thought he played well, and he came out of the game with two assists. So if he can get two assists in a game where people don't think he's played that well, I can't wait for him to start firing. But yeah, yeah. Adam. No, I don't think we. No, no. I think I don't think we were saying he played badly or anything. No, um, no. It was more like because like, of the way other players played, he sort of went under the radar. But yeah, it's just uh, yeah. I, I feel like he's come out of the game with two assists, and yeah, if he if he's going under the radar, getting two assists a game, yeah, when he's firing, <laughs> football's going to be a <laughs> wonderful thing to watch. <laughs> um, one last thing I will say is that the defense, um, Maguire, did he seem to start nervously to you, Jamie? To me, there was he seemed a bit sort of. On the ball, he, he like said, just just nerves really. He just seemed like he was waiting to waiting for himself to mess up sort of bit on the ball the first fifteen twenty minutes. And I remember John Stones having a bit of a talking to him after what at one point, and I think he benefits from having Stones there. And I think he sort of dragged him back into the game. Yeah, his his passing was a little bit wayward, and then because his first couple of passes went astray. That was where the loss of confidence came from, and then he was dwelling on the ball, getting caught a couple of times, and and against Senegal you can get away with it. If you're doing that against France, you've got to be very very careful. Um, but yeah, hopefully that sort of his blip because for that 15 20 minutes is probably the worst he's looked at the World Cup, and it wasn't detrimental to the team. So yeah, I feel like we haven't talked a lot about the defense on this pod because they really didn't have a lot to do. Um, I know Senegal had chances, but in terms of the way we defended, especially second half, it was just run of the mill. Senegal knew the game was done, and yeah, we, we don't need to talk about the defence because they, they weren't troubled. Yeah, I mean, Lee, John Stones alongside, <clears throat> I mean, I'm a big Stones fan, but to me, it was just another sort of Rolls-Royce performance from him, wasn't it? He just did, he just looks classy when he does his, when he does his job. Very, very composed centre back, isn't he? He's the, certainly the footballing one of the of the pair. Um, glad to see him get a little rest as well. <laughs> he said he, he hadn't managed to get any time off any games uh, last time out. But yeah, John Stones, he, he's he's come a long way as well. I think he was when he was a lot younger, he was really hyped up as something special. And then um, a few poor seasons at City, making a lot of silly mistakes, misplaced passes, that kind of thing. But now, as you say, he's Rolls-Royce of a player and he's definitely one of the first choices on the team sheet. Yeah, and just, obviously just to sort of round off on the defence as well, Walker retained his place. Could that have been with France in mind? Or we sort of discussed slightly, didn't we, whether Southgate had given the start in this game with sort of the Mbappe on the horizon. Um, Jamie, do you, do you think that came into the thinking? Uh, yeah, it's just more game time, and it's not it's not going to be the first time we've seen Kyle Walker against Mbappe, and um, Kyle Walker can deal with Mbappe. He's not he's not going to mark him out of the game, absolutely not, but he can deal with him, um, and getting more game time into his legs uh, was was a good idea, uh, and I'm glad he did it. Um, hindsight's a wonderful thing because I think I was pretty much saying I didn't think he'd play and they'd save him, but. 
yeah, uh, probably the right thing to do was give him the minutes. Make sure he can get through a game. Because uh, the last thing you want him to do is break down when he's killing Mbappe's running at him. <laughs> yeah, it's probably 1 0. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, anything else anyone wants to mention? Anything on any of the substitutes? Predictable. Um, still pretty annoyed that we're not seeing James Madison, um, especially in a game that's won. Uh, left Harry Kane on too long, but no, apart from that, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, game was won. The game was won, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah I, I personally, I would would have been inclined maybe to change the keeper with twenty minutes to go as well. Or is that <laughs> taking it too far? A la Brazil. Yeah, I just think that neither of them have got any tournament experience, have they? No, but 20, 20 minutes at the end of a damn rubber isn't going to get you experience either. No, but if it just takes the edge off the nerves of having actually, yes, I've played, does it... Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's a waste of a sum, possibly, would you say? Yeah, yeah just thinking maybe. And, you know, so it's all these... Um, you know, marginal gains and all that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think, like we said, Pickford's been quite underworked in this tournament, so he's not going to be fatigued or anything like that. It's not like he's making saves every 10 minutes. He definitely um, will not be fatigued. No. He may have heat fatigue from standing <laughs> in the sun. Yeah, <laughs> I hope he's wearing his Factor 50. <laughs> um, so, our man of the match poll... That we put out, 198 votes came through. That key guess number one, pretty Jude easy. Bellingham. I think. Jude, Jude Bellingham. Bellingham, yeah, 57 percent of the votes. <laughs> uh, 57 percent of the votes in the end, he got Jude That was it. Phil Foden got 11 percent, and Jordan Henderson got 10. Right, they were second and third. Uh, what I think brought Bellingham's percentage down is some people could vote for more than one person. And I think a couple of people voted for everybody in the team. Right. <laughs> so they were all fantastic. All 15. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, player of the tournament, then. The contest at this point, now, is it? Well, uh, I'll give you the top six because they are running away a little bit. So in sixth place is Bikaru Saka. 60 points. Harry Kane is in fifth with 62. Phil Foden is up into fourth with 72 points. Marcus Rashford is third on 80. Harry Maguire is in second on 95. And then with 120 points, Jude Bellingham is out in the lead. Yeah, fair. So bear in mind, we adopt a Formula One style point system for these man of the match scores. Um, 25 points for a win, doubled if it did. 25 points if you get man of the match, doubled if it's in a win. Then, unless we beat France, Bellingham's guaranteed to win it. Yeah, and I think it'd just only be fair that he wins it. I think that'll probably make the tournament for him. Yeah. It will. <laughs> we'll have to let him know. Contact him to make sure he knows. Send him a little trophy. <laughs> If Birmingham got if Birmingham said you've got a forwarding address. <laughs> so Stick it in that trophy cabinet with his shirt. Yes, that's what we can do. That's where we can put it. <laughs> right. Let's uh let's now have a look at the uh, the other last sixteen games. 
uh, Holland, very professional. That's the USA. Would you say? Yeah, they did what I think I expected them to do. Although I feel like I was outvoted here, and that you both said the USA would do it. Um, USA, USA. <laughs> but no, uh, I just think Holland just too many good individuals compared to USA, and that's what did it for them in the end. Yeah, I admit, I got carried away by the USA. I thought they'd perhaps give Holland a better game than they did. In all fairness, they did have opportunities. They should have been one nil up very early. I, I don't think Holland looked great. And I don't know what, what it was about the performance, but I just thought that the USA, were. I could see that they were getting opportunities over and over again. And I think that, I do think Argentina are going to cause them a lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, Moving on to Argentina, sort of made hard work of Australia and were quite lucky at the end not to be taken to extra time. Do you think, Lee? Yeah, from what I saw of it, um, it looked over and done with. And then next thing you know, they're on the ropes and and they've got right in the face. I think that's what the, the Aussies, that's all they were going to do. And that's all they were going to attempt to do to get anything out of that game. But you, you've got to say, Argentina held on. They've got through a different kind of challenge. They won't be playing that kind of team next. They'll be playing a football team with Holland, and Holland will want to play football against them as well. So that's going to be a good tie, isn't it? Yeah, Jamie, what do you think of Argentina? Um, I'm still not convinced. I just think that the Messi has taken them in the last two games. He's been absolutely unreal, but he's the only one. Like I couldn't pick another Argentina player who's making his level, and Messi's like 35. I mean, yeah, it's it's ridiculous how much they rely on him. Um, fair fair play to the goalkeeper though. The, uh, Martinez does make some good saves. So yeah, between them two, there's just nothing after them. Um, and I'm just not worried by Argentina. And I actually think Holland and Argentina will cancel each other out. It'll be nil nil, and we'll get penalties. Honestly. Okay. Hmm. So if we get a penalty, is Messi scoring this one? Or is he going to Holland? Um, I think they're out if he goes to penalties. I don't think Messi will score is. No, I don't either. I just never, ever fancy him to take a penalty, ever. It's weird, isn't it? Possibly yeah. the greatest player ever. He can't score from 12 yards. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they need to stick like three defenders in between him and the goal. <laughs> Let him run at him with it. Yeah. Um, Croatia. I mean, they got through, but for me, Japan were the better side. And just, again, somebody else who can't take penalties. Oh, that was so, that was so bad. What a poor shootout that was. Yeah. Disappointing to go out that way. Yeah. After taking three god-awful penalties. Well, I said that, and then I said, oh, hang on. No, we did, didn't we, in the Euro final against Italy. That's exactly what we did. We got all the way to that point and then did that. <laughs> yeah. Um... I just don't... I'm still not convinced by Croatia. They just run a lot, don't they? Um, I believe it's Brozovic has broken his own record for running in a game in World Cups. So he set the record against England in the semi-final in 2018 of 16.3 kilometres. That's including extra time. And last night, 16.7. Not last night, whenever they played. 16.7 kilometres broke his own record four years on. Well, yeah. I bet his hamstrings are burning that this morning yeah well they can't they can't keep going to extra time I mean they did it in the last World Cup didn't they they went to extra time in every game but the final 
is it something stupid like seven knockout games in a row or something like that I've seen? It's, or yeah, it's, six out of seven have gone to extra time. I'm pretty sure they did it in the Euros as well, didn't they? Yeah. Not with that aging side. Like you say, they can't keep no. doing it, can they? No, not coming up against the side they're about to play. <laughs> yes, so some very sexy football from Brazil. Um, but for me, Alisson sort of saved them at least three times and stopped it being a contest, really. Yeah, and like I said before, it's the difference between having a world-class keeper and not having one. Um, Brazil, for me, were very disrespectful. As good as the football was, what they did and the manager to join in is just, like, ridiculous. Like, half an hour into a game and, and the manager's dancing around like they've won the World Cup. And literally, like, nothing would please me more than for Croatia to absolutely scumbag a 1-0. And dance. And dance. <laughs> yeah, and dance. Luka Modric is there. dance traditionally, but whatever they do. Yeah. I, ju- I just thought it was disrespectful. They knew they were going to beat them. All they had to do was sort of turn up, score a couple of goals. Korea were never going to score a couple of goals. As soon as they got two up, there was just no need for what they did. And as good as the football was and as good as they looked, that just took all the luster away from me. I do think that Korea were architects of their own downfall, the way that they approached the match. <laughs> to try and go head-to-head, like, well, toe-to-toe with Brazil in a game of football the way that they did, they were really asking for it. And when it was 2 0 and they were still trying to do it, I was thinking, they're not learning either. This yeah. could be a silly scoreline. But the, the second half, they were a bit more organised and... You know, Brazil nearly scored, like, what, 10 seconds into the second half, was it? But after that, I thought it was a pretty respectable performance and they won the second half. Yeah, I was going to say, they scored, didn't they? So, um, yeah, they, got, they, they were so exposed, though, uh, down the left-hand side. It was yeah. stupid how much face Rafinha was getting. Uh, for about France, I mean, obviously, we're going to going to dip into them quite a bit in a minute. But, see, they saw off Poland. Again, it wasn't straightforward, was it? It sort of they had to work hard to to get the result. Yeah, well, once they were in front, there was only ever one winner. Uh, but they do they make hard work of games. Um, and I think when obviously we're going to touch on it soon, but the, the midfield worries me for France. Uh, any thoughts on France, Lee? Uh, well, from what I've seen of them, there's no major surprises. They're technically good. They've, they've got a, just a knack of, of winning games of football, um, especially against what they would perceive to be lesser opposition. Uh, I, I just think we will be just the kind of team they don't like to be up against because we will work them. Um, I've, I've never had them down as a hard working side. I've always had them down as excellent football sides, but they don't, don't necessarily like it when the going gets tough. So, And I think that we will test them in that way. Um, yeah. They're very good side, very, very good side, world champions for a reason, but missing one or two key figures. And I think we've got a player who might be able to keep Mbappe a bit more quieter than usual. And obviously moving into the final two last 16 ties, uh, our pick as the as the upset of the round, Morocco beat Spain. Penalties, but they beat them, no doubt. Doesn't, doesn't matter how you go through, as long as you're still in the tournament. Um, and Morocco proved why um, after dismissing them very early on in the groups, we decided they were getting through, and now they're going to a semi. So, I mean, because um, they're, they're going to just dispose of Portugal, aren't they? Um, <laughs> Surely now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
Lee, me and you especially, we were on this bandwagon from the beginning. We are driving this train, are we? <laughs> we are. Um, and Spain had a lot of the ball today. And if they were a little bit more incisive at times, they might have been able to see these off. But what you've seen from them is they held the shape, they were organised, they stuck to the job. Uh, they created chances of their own too. That they, they probably think that they should have scored. Um, I think they had just as many good opportunities to score as Spain have for, the, for whatever possession. I think it was, I'll say, 73%, did we say? It ended up. But it just did nothing with it. And you can do, and if a team like Morocco, they, they've set up well, they've prepared for a penalty shootout and they've held the nerve and done the job. Yeah, they've got a good pace, haven't they? Got good pace up front, and I think when they do, when they are forced to sit back, it suits their attacking players that they've then got space to run into. But they do seem to be an energetic side. They've been able to keep up for for the whole fixture. They've never looked out of the depth. They've kept Spain playing it in the areas where they'd rather than keep it. And yeah, it's not going to be a comfortable game for Portugal, but they've looked pretty impressive too. I think it was you, um, Jamie, earlier on, picked out the stat that is that consecutive clean sheets they've got against Croatia, Belgium and, and, Spain. Um, and Spain. Yeah, and the only goal they conceded was against Canada and it was an own goal. So no opponents has scored against them yet at the World Cup? Nope. No. Well, I wonder if um, Portugal will. I mean, they've totally dismantled Switzerland tonight, but it looked like a Switzerland side who were already on the plane for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I think that um, if anyone isn't waxing lyrical about this Portugal performance like they did Brazil, then they're doing Portugal a disservice because Portugal were fantastic tonight. Um, and it's no coincidence that no Ronaldo equals better performances. Um, because we've seen it in Man United and now we're seeing it at Portugal. Yeah, I think he's at the stage of his career now where he can't accept that the team cannot be built around him. And it's at the detriment to decide that when he plays, it all has to sort of go around him to get anything out of him. This must be a moment for him to sort of reflect now and think that, okay, maybe it wasn't personal at Manchester United. Maybe I'm not able to sort of produce at the, the very top level every game, or even at all. He may just be that he's, he's passed his very best. And I, I think the teams, any team that, that you take him out of and put in a, a fresher, more energetic player, you just feel that benefit. It's okay if you've got an amazing side, if you've got like a Man, Man City of a team. that can they can they go Manchester City, as an example, can go down to 10 men. And sometimes you don't notice it because the, the whole team just moves together. And if you've still got that just that man on the end to just get on the end of the crosses, that's great. If you put Ronaldo in that situation, he'd probably still be hitting very respectable numbers. But as good as Portugal look, they aren't that good. Where they can just carry him. So, yeah, I, I can totally understand why they, they look a better side without him. And that's not to say his World Cup's finished either, unless he's thrown a strop and gone home. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think he'll have done that. He's only he thrown to as we speak. He didn't <laughs> celebrate with the players after the game. Oh dear. So, yeah, make it oh, up what you will. Well. Oh dear. Oh. I mean, that sums it up just right there, Leo. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, so very quickly, who's going to win the quarterfinals? Netherlands v Argentina. Lee? Argentina. Jamie? Argentina. Croatia v Brazil? Brazil. Oh, I, I, I want it to be Croatia. Yeah. I do. So I'll, uh, I'll say Croatia. And of course, we already know the answer to this one. Morocco v Portugal? Morocco. Yeah, for the same reason as the previous match, Morocco. Well, which leaves us just one quarter final. So shall we get into the preview of England versus France? Nah. <laughs> Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. So, for me, this could be the match of the tournament so far. I'm going to start off, as always, I've got some stats for you. I'm going to reel them all off and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty of the matchups and what we're going to, what we expect to happen. So, England v France, 31 times they've met previously, 17 England wins, 5 draws, 9 French wins. However, England have won only once in the last eight since they win in Le Tournoi in 1997. And that was a 2-0 win in 2018. Been two draws and five losses in that time. England have played France twice in World Cups, both in the group stage. They beat them 2-0 in 1966, you know, last time it came home. And they also won 3-1 in 1982. When it did come uh, now, how about this one, right? If I told you the last time England played France was 2017, it ended 3-2 to France. It was Deschamps versus Southgate. Mm. France's front three was Dembele, Giroud and Mbappe. Not changed there. They also had Lloris, Varane, Umtiti, Kante and Pogba starting. So, pretty strong French team, yeah? Yeah. That won 3-2 in Paris. England had Stones and Kane. But the rest of the side was Tom Heaton, a 32-year-old Gary Cahill, Bertrand, Dyer, Phil Jones, Deli Alley, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Aaron Cresswell, and Adam Alana. <laughs> what a casserole of players, that is. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like when you play football manager and you've got all the free transfers and you sign them all. That, that is exactly what that is. Um, it won't come as any surprise to you say that England's two goals were both scored by Harry Kane that night. <laughs> <laughs> there was me having high hopes for Aaron Cresswell. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, if, if that's the last time they played and that French team could only get a 3-2 home win against that lot, 
it, it, it's in good, it shows us in good stead, I think. <laughs> We've got reason to be positive. Yeah, that's, that's, are we gonna are we gonna skip over the fact that for half of that game France played with ten men? Yes, we are. Of course, we're skipping over that fact. <laughs> they deserve to play with ten men. If you just see what England team was put out, I think we were playing with about eight. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Jones, <laughs> um, Saka has joined Rashford on three goals, which obviously, as we mentioned in the last pod, now makes him joint six on England's all-time World Cup goal scorers, and only three players have scored more in a single tournament. Um, England's three wins in this tournament is their second and joint... Oh, sorry. Of England's three wins in this tournament, they are the second and joint third biggest wins at World Cup finals. So two three nils and a 6-2. England are still yet to receive a card, meaning only red cards from here on in would lead to any suspensions, whilst France have Kouande and... Going to butcher this name now. Chuameni. Oh, Tukameni. Tukameni. Uh, they're both on bookings, which means another yellow would mean they miss the semi-final. So maybe something to, interesting to watch there. Could, um, yeah, could just be in the back of their minds. You know, going into tackles. We all remember Gaza's tears and all that, don't we? When he was missed the final. Um, they, all, England... they all missed the final. <laughs> Well, they all did, they? <laughs> um, England will be missing Raheem Sterling and Ben White both for personal reasons, whilst France are missing from their squad Benzema and Lucas Hernandez due to injury. Uh, England have scored 12 goals in this tournament, means they're joint highest in a World Cup level with the 2018, and now they've now scored one more than they did in 66. But they do have a record, which is eight different goal scorers at a World Cup is a New England record. Um, the last quarter-final goal conceded by England, can you remember who it was? Who scored the last goal versus England in a World Cup quarter-final? Well, it wasn't 2018 because that was Sweden and they were cack. Um, and we got knocked out in the groups in 2014. Last 16 in 2010. 2006, Portugal Helder Postiga. That game ended nil-nil after extra time, which means ah, right, okay. the last goal that we conceded in the quarterfinal was, was Ronaldinho. Ronaldinho. And we've played a whole 250 minutes of quarterfinal football since then without conceding. Mm-hmm. Since David Seaman let that one go. Shoosh! Over his ass. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it was just a little bit. The bone, the back was creaking a little bit too much to get back for that re- in going reverse to save that one, wasn't he? David James would have saved that. David James is about three inches tall. He would just put his hand yeah. up and caught it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it made it look like child's play. <laughs> um, a clean sheet would also equal the record from 1982, where England had four clean sheets in a World Cup and four consecutive clean sheets as well. Um, obviously because we've had three consecutive shutouts at the minute uh, now World Cup quarterfinal records England have progressed in three of their eight uh, quarterfinals beating Argentina, Cameroon and Sweden but have lost to Brazil twice, Argentina Portugal and Germany 
France have only lost two of their seven World Cup quarterfinals, which was to Italy in 1938 and to Germany in 2014, although they did need penalties in 86 against Brazil and 98 against Italy. Uh, one last thing, Kylian Mbappe is the first Frenchman to score four or more in two World Cups, and his nine goals put him second in their all-time World Cup goal scorers list. Uh, but he's still four behind Just Fontaine, who hit 13 goals in the 1958 World Cup. 13 in one World Cup, that's insane. And they only and they got knocked out in the semi-finals as well. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? That's that's like fucking Harvard numbers, that is. Um, would you like one thing? Obviously, they are the holders, aren't they, France? So, you know, I like to do a little bit of research into certain stats. Well, this week, I've been doing sort of holders and where they go in the next tournament, how far they progress in the tournament after. Uh, if they they will become only the second winner to get out of the group stage this century, so they're only the second team as holders to go into the next World Cup and actually get out of the group stage, which is a mental statistic, really. Yeah. yeah, so France won in 98, went out in the groups. Uh, Italy won in 2006, went out in the groups in the next one, as did Spain after winning in 2010 and Germany in, after winning in 2014. Wow. Germany have not made it out of the group since? Uh, no. Um, and yet, since 1962, only Brazil in 98 and Argentina in 90 have made it to the semi-finals as holders. Right, okay. All you're doing is reinforcing that football's coming home. I I am, yeah. So, basically, it doesn't... You you won the last one, you're not going to be going against. And you may as well just not bother. May as well give us a bye. Yeah. I think what it's fair to say about this game, and call me out if you think I'm wrong, but I don't think this is the best France team we've ever seen. I'm not saying they're rubbish, but I think I've seen better France sides than this. And I tell you something, I've not seen many better England sides. Certainly not many better England squads um, and the way that they set up for knockout football and for, for big tournament matches. I just think that this is going to be as good a chance as we'll have to beat a side like France in a competition like this and just got to have that belief in the players. Mm, yeah, I think, I think France could probably put a decent five-a-side team together of injured players at the minute. Yeah, and yeah. I think that yeah. definitely brings them v- close, if not behind England. Um, then you think that like you know Benzema, um, Pogba, Kante, all unavailable due to injury, and I think like say England are really full strength, aren't we? It's, it's one of them tournaments where we haven't had the injuries, we haven't had the suspensions, we haven't had players pre-tournament going out injured, which mm. or even you know race against time to be fit. I mean, the only really one we've had is Madison. Yeah. Um, and obviously we're missing Sterling, who you could say is probably classed as what we call a starter these days. I know he hasn't started the last few, but he is the only player we're missing that you'd say he could come on or he could start a game and you wouldn't complain. Um, but I think in this game, as I alluded to earlier, I didn't want to touch on it too much, is going to be a big battle in midfield. Um, and people keep talking about we should be worried about Mbappe. Why, why are we not talking about the players from our team that France should be worried about? Because yeah, we've got totally more than agree. one. Totally agree. Is Tukemeni yes. and Rabiot going to match up to Bellingham? 
Yeah, for me, I, that's where England will win the game. Yeah, England will win the game in the midfield. Bellingham, um, Henderson, Rice. Yeah, I, I've, those three are better midfielders than what France have got. And I, people look at you, and I think because they haven't got the exotic names, and because you know Declan Rice plays for West Ham, and so I think people play down their England fans. Some of you play down their own players. Yeah, and they look at you know. Camavinga plays for Real Madrid. Oh yeah, so what? It he doesn't mean he's a better player than the Jordan Henderson is for Liverpool. Even if no. he is thirty, what is he? Thirty-two, Jamie. Thirty-two, thirty-three. Uh, th- thirty. Yeah, I think he's thirty-two now. Yeah. I do think France's main concern, and they're setting up for this game, is how they're going to get the ball to Mbappe. It's all right having him there, and you know, thinking England could put their best defender for the job, Kyle Walker, on him. Um, but it doesn't matter what what you prepare for if you can't get the ball to him, and and like you say, I think in midfield if, if we do win that battle and he's starred a service and frustrated, a couple of little kicks and knocks here and there, and he 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 is clearly their best player, and he's if you can sort of calm him down and keep him quiet, probably keep the whole team quiet. Well, I'll tell you something, right? In that last game they played against Poland, Mbappe he threw a strop in that game. For for ten minutes, he was out of that game altogether. He wanted the ball played to him a couple of times, and he was double marked, and they didn't give it to him. He played it off to someone else, and his arms were going. Jenny wasn't happy that he wasn't given the ball, even though he, there was never a pass on to him. There was a couple of times that the ball was played to him, and it was like overhit in front of him. And then what happened was the ball was played out, and he had to he had to stretch to keep it in, and he knocked it down the touchline. And he had all the open space run into. And he could have just put his head down and gone. The defender was nowhere near him. And he'd have caught the ball easily. And he just didn't even bother. He just turned around and walked off. And the ball's still in play. Just about 20 yards in front of him. And the goalkeeper, that's how far it was. The goalkeeper came over and picked it up from like, just stopped in the middle of the pitch. And 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 he just he turned around and walked as if like the pass, was, oh, the pass wasn't to me. I'm not going to bother. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not playing, you know, I'm not chasing balls like that. And and he was walking round, and if you noticed the first goal that he scored, he was in a strop still. It was just the fact that he was there, and obviously he'd left in a bit of space. And you could tell he was walking around, chuntering to himself, and then the ball falls to him, and he puts his foot on it, looks up, and just lashes it into the roof of the net. And it was like he clipped his fingers, he's back in the game then. Now, if yeah. England, do you know what I mean? It, mm. As good a player as he is, if he's prone to that kind of behaviour when things aren't going his way, and I remember, and I think I mentioned it last time, I remember Man City playing PSG, and it became an ego thing with him. He just kept knocking the ball past Kyle Walker and running, and Kyle Walker every time was like, "Mate, I'm just as quick as you are." Yeah. <laughs> if there's one thing about my game, it's I'm fast. Yeah. And, and he couldn't get past him, and the more and the more he tried it, and the more Walker matched him the more often he was going for it because it became like, I must prove to you that I can take you on and beat yeah. you. And in the end, again, I think in that game, he ended up, you know, arms were going and, and he, he was out of the game. His head had gone. Yeah, and if you've got a player like that, uh, I mean, obviously since he signed his new contract with PSG, a lot of his temperament and stuff has come under the spotlight because he seemed quite humble. And then he gets all this power and now he's turning into a bit of a Neymar. 
um, where he thinks everything should go through him and it's all him. And yeah, he's world class. No, no denying the guy's got talent. Um, but he can't win it on his own. He can't. So he he needs to grow up, realize he's got ten other players around him, and they'll they'll get him to where he wants to be. If they want to win the World Cup again, they've got to use the squad, not just Mbappe. Thoughts, Lee? I mean, he's comparing to Neymar then. I think this is where I have to bring you in the conversation. Oh, well, well to be fair, there were an incident with um, Mbappe for PSG. I think it was very similar or the same kind of thing as the one you described before. Um, where the, he, he basically got into a bit of a strop because he wasn't given the ball. And then he actually didn't join in an attack. Um, the ball was there for him and he just couldn't be bothered to join in. He was sort of stropping around on the halfway line. So I know I know what Jamie's getting at there. And you do get these big ego footballers, don't you? And you get to, especially when they're younger and they're getting talked up a lot and everybody, you know, there's always somebody in their ear telling them that they're the best player in the world and all the rest of it. I think we've seen it quite a few times with Mbappe that he can be frustrated in a game. It, is, it wouldn't be unusual to see it happen to him at all. And it's a big, high-pressure match, a lot of expectation. The weight of the country's expectation probably on his shoulders. He, you know, he believed everything that's said and wrote about him, and he will believe that he is the the big hope for this side. And if he doesn't perform, then he's not. The team's not going to be carried through. So I, th- I think the pressure of the occasion and if we can just make it a really miserable night for him. And the important thing is cutting off the supply to him. He's not going to be coming in there and like doing the Harry Kane, picking it up in his own half and, r- and running forward with it and finishing it. You know, he does need the service. So uh, as long as we play the right kind of midfield to keep them quiet and, and subdued, I, say, I, I think we'll frustrate him, keep him out of the game, no problem. Yeah, t- there's your comparison, isn't it, as well? Like we mentioned earlier on how much of a team player Kane is as your star man and how yeah. he'll sort of you know, he's not logging he's not hogging the spotlight, he's not looking for his name up in lights and score every goal going. And then you've got your star man Mbappe, who may be similar to like a, maybe a Neymar, a Ronaldo. You know, you always continually, possibly even a Messi, some might say. Everything has, you know, everything goes through them. Yeah, and Kane does seem to just adapt himself, doesn't he? He sort of identifies what the team needs, and he fills those gaps a little bit. And I, I suppose, in many ways, Kane's a hard player to defend against and to, to prepare for. I mean, you could say man mark him, or whoever's man marking him, he could be running that, you know, sort of like sixty yard sprints every sort of every minute, trying to keep keep around him. He's, he's not really the kind of player you can because he's all over the pitch. So and that's the thing. Well. That's the thing as well. I mean, if you go tight to him and stay tight to him, we saw in the last game at Senegal, they tried a bit of that, and all mm. it did is create a massive gap behind for yeah, people right. to run, run runners by. He knows when they're tied to him, he'll just pull them away straight away. Okay, well, he's really intelligent like that. He's, he's also got very good feet as well. Mm. Very quick feet for somebody who he doesn't strike you as. Is, is an overly skillful player in respect of like you know the the, the showboating kind of moves, but he can transfer the ball left, right, left, and get out of space you know tight spaces with two, three men around him. Oh, he's very neat and tidy at times with it as well. Yeah, like using the outside of his boot, that kind of thing. Perfect first touch and gone. 
and yeah, you expect to, you you more associate Harry Kane with power, don't you? You've seen him, you know, he can he can smack it home from the edge of the box. I think once upon a time, I don't know if he still talks about this, but I'm sure he said he actually wanted to be an American footballer at one time. He's got you know really good kicking power. He's, he's quite powerful lad. But yeah, some of his deft touches in that, he's like, you no, know, he's a he's a proper footballer as well. A little bit like Lewandowski sometimes, to be fair. He, he's known to be purely a finisher. But if you watch him play, he's got really, really nice touches as well. Just a good all-round attacking football. Yeah, I think he um, he takes a lot of his shots early, Kane, doesn't he? Yeah. He'll and shoot like, from anywhere. That's what I really like about him more than anything else. He'll yeah. shoot from absolutely anywhere. You, there's a lot of shots where you, you he scores goals and you think, the keeper should have had that. But he's took it that early. The keeper's not had a chance to set himself and get his weight balance right to get down and save it. Yeah. It sort of passed him before he's realised what's what's happening. It's that instinct he's got. Yeah, I suppose there's one thing I can't quite decide on is the setup for this game. I mean, we're talking there, Mbappe's the main the main threat. Everything goes through him, and we need to keep him quiet. To me. Is it worth going to the three at the back? Now, I'll give you the reasons why, and then you let me know what you think. And like I say, I'm, I'm undecided on this, but this is just how I think, if they do go through the back, the benefits of it. So, Walker will be the right-sided centre-half. Trippier is your right-wing-back. Trippier can still get forward and contribute to the attack, knowing that he's got Walker's pace behind him from Mbappe. And it may just push Mbappe a bit further back that he's got Trippier there. But Trippier can sort of, as sort of Lee said with the last one, yeah, you want someone who can, maybe you want someone who can kick him and put him off his game that way. Well, Trippier's there. Trippier's not going to shake a tackle with him. If he gets past, if he knocks the ball past Trippier, Kyle Walker's there to pick up the loose ball. You know, he can't knock it 20 yards and run because Walker will be there straight away. Flick on the other side of the pitch as well. Usman Dembele is actually having quite a good tournament. Because of Mbappe's skill, he's sort of going under the radar a bit, but he's playing very well. If Luke Shaw, the same thing there. If if he gets past Shaw, he's got John Stones on the left-hand side because they'd put Stones out there. What then that means is that both the supply lines have got decent wing-backs, but also good cover against them. The man in the middle, left behind there, is Harry Maguire. The perfect striker for Harry Maguire is Olivier Giroud, isn't he? 36, no pace, wants a battle. That's exactly what Harry Maguire wants. He doesn't want people running at him, running past him. He wants battles. So you've got that. And then you've got Declan Rice, shielding the defence, who could just pick up with your Anton Griezmann buzzing around. Does that then nullify the French threat? And then, obviously, then, you're down the other end. You're probably going to sacrifice an attacker. You probably have Kane with Saka just buzzing around in more of a free roll and just work it from there. That's what I'm thinking. This all depends for me on, on Gareth Southgate's sort of positive or negative mentality. Now, does, does he think that we are better than them or not? Because I think if, if we play the three at the back, it does one thing for sure. It, it, we are putting everything into neutralising what we consider to be their two most dangerous players with Mbappe and um, Dembele. 
almost not 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 quite, but almost doubling up on them in a sense as well. We're putting players, you know, in positions that in a perhaps slightly more advanced role on the pitch, but they're they're a defensive player and they should they probably do that primarily, truth be told. But that that could make for a pretty a pretty boring game to be honest. You could even invite it on a little bit. Whereas if if we played an alternative formation similar to the ones that we have played, and we've got belief that that is going to be good enough to beat this French side, and and the faith is rewarded with the victory, then we go into the next and we march into it. Um, I will say that from what I've seen of Gareth Southgate in previous tournaments, I, I do think he's going to revert to the three at the back for this match. I think he'll acknowledge the quality that France have got. Um, I, I just hope that we've got enough energy in the middle um, because I do think it's it's just as important, if not more important, to cut out the supply to these these excellent players that they've got out wide. And if we can dominate the midfield, it doesn't matter who they've got there. They could have Pele on one side and Maradona on the other side. It, it wouldn't matter if they can't get the ball to them. So uh, yeah. I, I I would actually be tempted to to not lose a player from the middle, carry on as we are, and be bold. Jamie, yeah. I I agree um, with. Late that I think we should carry on, um, be bold, keep the formation we've got. Uh, but I also do think that he will revert to the three at the back, and I don't think it'll be a forward player we lose. It's going to be a central midfielder, because um, yeah. essentially it's going to be a three-four-three. Three. Um, so you're going to have two of Bellingham, Rice, and Henderson, and in that case, Henderson drops out. Uh, but I think that's a big loss against a team like France. Because I think he'll keep the three up top, whether that be Kane, Saka, Rashford, Kane, Saka, Foden, whichever whichever three he chooses, they're they're gonna stay the same, and it's gonna be Trippier in for one of the central midfielders. Um, I get your reasoning as to why you do it, but if you're bringing in players purely to nullify the threat of, um, you're putting Rice on Griezmann. You put in Walker and Trippier on Mbappe. You put in Maguire on Giroud. You put in Shaw and Stones on Dembele. What's happening with the other six players? Well, they'll be concentrating on the England attackers. Will they, though? <laughs> because they're going to have all this space because these players are being dragged out because you're doubling up on their supposed dangerous players. And I, I think that England should take the approach that well, no, we don't need to worry about what they do. They need to worry about us. And I think France will be struggling here to, to work out what England are going to do. Because I honestly don't believe Gareth Southgate knows what he's going to do until about three hours before kickoff. <laughs> I get that feeling. Um, <laughs> um, and I think we've got two formations that we can play and we can play well. Um, and I don't think France will know how to prepare for that. Hmm. I suppose... Whatever formation they go with, they're one substitution away from changing it if needed as well, aren't they? Yeah. I, th- I think if he goes with the four at the back, you're going to get people saying, well, we should be playing three at the back and two wing backs. And then if he goes with that, they're going to say, well, why aren't we playing four at the back? You're going to get arguments no matter what he does. He literally, the guy can't win. So what I'm going to do is, given the benefit of the doubt on whichever team he picks, is what he believes is the team and the formation to win this game. And I'm happy to trust him. He wins games in knockout football. Why are people just still not just letting him get on with it? Yeah, I think I think, I think that's it, though. In, in tournament football, you sort of do go game by game, don't you? And yeah. pick your team to win that particular game. Um 
there isn't the same sort of philosophy as you would develop at a club. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Far more tactical at, at the international level as well. I don't think the gaps between the, the teams are that big. And, and cup football as well, it's really, really high pressure. It's do or die time. Mentality is also a really, really, really big thing at this level. When you get to the very, very top and you're talking about semi-finals and finals, there's not much between these sides at all. And it's just who's got it right in the head on the day. And I think that's the important thing. Any farewell, we've had good experience deep into tournaments now. And we've still got young players who've had that and they've, they've taken it on. And they've still, they've carried on this tournament, showed up, played really well. How many clean sheets? Is that, have we got four clean sheets in a row? Or is that three? Am I? No, three. We can see three, yeah, against sorry, in a row. Yeah. No, sorry, I'm thinking of after, after the weekend, there'll be four in a row then. <laughs> anyway, but I, just just to reiterate, I really do hope that that Gareth Southgate is bold enough to put a midfield three out. Um, for me, you could put the same three out as against Senegal. I um, think we could overrun him and and just say, look, you know what? We just don't. If we can cut off any supply, it doesn't matter who they're playing up front. It just doesn't matter. If we just yeah. dominate the midfield and frustrate them and cut it off, we don't need to worry too much about man marking and all the rest of it. Let's just do our thing. Let's get a couple of goals and see how they like being behind. Because yeah, it could I be agree. one of those as well. You know, some teams, if they if they are a little bit weak like that, and you crack them. Have, have France had a clean sheet yet this tournament? Um, no, they've been behind against Australia. Yeah, went behind against Australia. Um, who else was in their group? Mexico, was it? No, no, Mexico didn't score until the last game. Um, who else was there? So they conceded against oh, sorry, Poland. No, they lost against Tunisia, conceded against Denmark, conceded against Australia. No clean sheets. And we like to score goals, and we've got a lot of players that can score goals, and we know how well, to we are, So We are the top scorers at the World Cup so far of all the yeah. 32 nations. Nobody's yeah. scored more than England. Plenty of reasons to be positive uh, going into this game. Plenty of reasons for Gareth Southgate to think, you know what, we, we can just take it to these. We we could actually just be better than. No one's gonna, no one's gonna moan if he has a go. No, lose. absolutely not. I, I wouldn't mind going out and fighting. Yeah, if we if we go out to France, which is like, let's be real. I know we have a laugh and a joke and say he's coming home and stuff. It's a very real possibility that this could be our last game at the World Cup. And as long as they put on a performance, I, I'm happy to go out to France. I don't like it when we go out when we've. And we've tried to protect a one-nil lead like we did against Italy, or yeah. when we've just gone into our shells a little bit like we did against Croatia. I'd rather than yeah. just fight to the death. Yeah. And if we're unlucky, well, fair enough, we're unlucky, but they had to go. Yeah, yeah, you can't sit back on one goal, not in these games, and we've we've proven we can't do it. Like you said, Croatia, Italy, we both tried to sit on goal leads, and it doesn't work. No, but we have shown in this tournament, haven't we? We've in a couple of games where we've scored and it's been like it's been really important for the team as like a part of the game plan. Yeah, and let's score again. Whilst we've got them on yeah. the ropes, let's do it again. Let's get yeah. into that habit of catching them whilst they're whilst they're unhappy, whilst they're in a bit of shock or, you know, let's get them again. And it's, yeah. it's definitely a part of what we do now. That was why we lost in the Euro final for me. We didn't capitalise on Luke Shaw scoring earlier than anyone could believe. Oh, they were absolutely rocked. We we that yeah. could have been such a different game if we followed it up with another goal. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, it probably would have been about three 0 by about half time, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because the place, you know, the ground 
if they got a second goal, the crowd would have just carried them home, wouldn't they? Yeah, 100%. Definitely. It was rocking. Whereas at 1-0, the crowd, as the match went on, and the momentum died, started getting nervous. Yeah. And when the goal does go in, even if you didn't think they were going to score, that familiarity comes, it's like, oh, I knew they were going to score. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then I know what happens after this, it's heartbreak after this, isn't it? Yeah, I remember yeah. now. Yeah. Typical yeah. England. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing, obviously, I, I just mentioned, or you meant to mention it at the time, sort of rewinding a bit. You know, you said you think one of the midfielders would drop out, it'd be Henderson. Yeah. If he does go three at the back, is there a chance that Bellingham gets pushed forward as one of the three attacking players to keep Henderson in the side alongside Rice? I think Bellingham's better central than he would be out wide. So I, I just I think you'd then be trying to fit him in for the sake of fitting him in rather than it actually being a, a thing that he does for his club. It's almost like when Man United were trying to fit Pogba in and he ended up on the left wing. You don't do it. You don't. It's like it's uh, square pegs in round holes. It doesn't work. Yeah, for me, I think in this game especially, if he's going to two centre midfielders, Rice definitely plays. Yeah. It wouldn't shock me massively to have Henderson in there at least at the beginning. And you can always bring Bellingham on after an hour or so. It would feel like insanity for after watching Jude Bellingham play so well at such a young age in basically centre midfield every game to then play him sort of in an attacking role as part of the when we've got so many other players who are sort of, you know, champion at the bit. We've got uh, Rashford, we've got Foden, we've got Grealish, we'll play out wide, we've got Saka. He's absolutely fantastic. It'd be a strange bit of shoe on in that. I mean, and if you look at it that way, that that does add weight to just put, play the same formation as we did last game. Yeah. Maybe you know, if you want to make a little change or two up top. I mean, if you if you set Rashford at him, I think Rashford's the most similar thing that we've got to Mbappe in terms of his play style. He's a direct. You know, he'll play out wide and come in, and he's fast and he'll run with the ball. I'm not saying he's as good as him. Uh, but he's yeah. he's a goal scorer as well. He comes in from outside to score goals. So yeah. you know, our defenders, it's worth remembering that it's not a bad little bit of practice, is it? That you know to say to Rashford, so you know, this is what he, this is what Mbappe is going to do. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. just just do that in training, like and give. Yeah. And, and he's probably been playing the Mbappe role. But again, he he could be a problem. You know, just to give the French something to think about, he can end up taking that wide berth as well. And going yeah, I, I think for me, the way you if he's going three at the back with the wing backs, he's approaching it with counter attacking football in mind. Mm. In that everyone who then supports Kane is going to be quick. So Rashford plays. If he plays straight at the back, Rashford plays because he's quick. Um, and then Saka plays as well because he's quick. Um, and I think that sort of sets it for me because um, Kane will then be trying to feed them. He'll be a lot deeper, uh, won't he? Then, yeah. He'll be he'll be a lot deeper. He'll be helping out the midfield a bit more, and we'll be trying to catch them on the break, um, using the pace of Rashford and Saka, which is fine. That's a game plan. Um, don't just play three at the back with win backs for no reason. One one thing I think does um, see what well, one thing is a positive, should I say, for England here is we've we're going through many different tactics, many different formations, um, how we can play, how they set up, who who plays, 
you know the roles that each those those players have. Yet with France, you only really see the one way that they're going to play and set up. Yeah, they're four two three one, and that is exactly how they play. That's how they played in every game so far. Um, and fair play, it works for them, but it's very one dimensional. When they make a change, it's like for like. Um, they don't change the formation to fit around the players they're bringing on. Um, I can't remember who the striker is, but if he comes on, he's just coming on like for like for Giroud. They've brought Saram on, uh, who goes out wide. Uh, Kinsley Coman goes in for Ben Bailey. Uh, you know what you're getting. Um, Kamavinga comes in for Griezmann. It's all it's all samey same. Well, that is again, it's worth remembering because we've said it about ourselves is that. The teams that are the champions, the teams that do win things, they just set up their way, don't they? Yeah. That's what they do. They've got a yeah, lot of belief yeah. that what they do is going to be good enough. And that's yeah, how your, your opponents adapt to you, you don't adapt to that's them. That's right, yeah. And that's how we should be taking this to them. Because yeah. we've got some really, really good footballers on our side. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, pretty much like Jamie said. There's no, there's no shame in losing to France. If this is the end of the road, then... Then you know it's it's been a it's been a positive World Cup so far, and you know as long as like say you go out there and you leave everything on the pitch, no regrets. Yeah. The best team, the best team will win, regardless of who that is. Um, but like you say, I, I'm with you guys. I think we, we can we do match up just as good, if not better than France. Yeah. And for that, I'm going to predict. Two, three, two to England. I think it's going to be. There's going to be goals. I think both sides are better going forward, and I think they're probably the two of the strongest attacks in, in the in the World Cup. And I think there's going to be plenty of goals. And England will edge it three two. I think we'll go into a three one lead. France will get a goal, and it'll be nervous towards the end, but we will hang on. Um, I'm gonna go two one England, um, and like you said, like they go three one up. I think we'll be two up, and we'll concede with twenty to go, and it'll be a very nervous finish. Well, I think it depends on the formation. I think if he goes three at the back, I think we win one nil, and I think if he plays four four two, we win three one. Um, and I think he play four four two, about four three three. Should I say? I'll, I'll say three uh, one. I think my goals are coming from Kane, Bellingham and Saka. I'm going to go Kane getting both um, and probably Mbappe for France. I'm going to go for three different scorers for England. Kane, Rashford and one from the head of Mr. Harry Maguire. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that pretty much that pretty much it. Hopefully, this isn't the final England one that we do. Um, fingers crossed. Let's all tune in Saturday night and uh, hopefully we're all the lads on to the uh, semi-final. Will it be the first? Will it be this first time? I think we will, won't it? That we've got to consecutive um, World Cup semi-finals. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because we've only got sixty-six and ninety, and then obviously eighteen. Yeah, I was going to say we we tend to. That's the thing about it as well. Like we tend to go out against dross teams a lot of the time, like teams we should be beating. So that's why I'm not too bothered if we do go out to France. 
I, I know I, I went to verse. I was through eighty six was the hand of God. Yeah. Ninety was ninety was penalties. Ninety six, year ninety six was penalties. Ninety eight was penalties plus Beckham sent off. Yeah, just after half time. Two thousand, we didn't want to talk about that. That was Phil oh. Neville and yeah. his stupid. <laughs> oh god, yeah. <laughs> two thousand and two was the Ronaldinho lobbing seaman. Two thousand four penalties to Portugal. After was that when Rooney went off injured, wasn't it in the quarter final? Yeah. 2006, when Rooney got sent off against Portugal and went out on penalties again. When Ronaldo became the winker. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got, what, 20 years there of tournaments where it's either been penalties or, like... Ascending off in stupidity. Yeah, ascending off stupidity or ref, how have you missed that on ball? And then what have we had since then? 2010... That was obviously Germany smashed us, didn't they? For, for Germany smashed us, but Lampard should have equalised. Yeah. You don't know. I mean, Germany, I think, were far better side at that point, but you don't know what would have happened if it had gone in half time 2 2. Yeah. Could have been different. Yeah. yeah. The school was a bit in the game, didn't they? If I remember correctly, it wasn't very yeah. nice to watch at all. But I yeah, I think we we sort of got caught chasing the game, didn't we? Second yeah. half, and they, just, yeah. they were just rapid and just opened us up. Yeah. You wonder whether if it was two two and we didn't have to do that, it might have been a bit different. Especially that you know the, the mentality going in at half time. Yeah, they would they would have known that they knew that goal that ball crossed that line, didn't they? So they would have been oh, like, yeah. you know, up in the dressing room at half time and we were down on the floor. Yeah. Um The obviously twenty twelve was it twenty twelve was that Hodgson's first tournament? Wasn't it? We went out to Italy. Yes, that was penalties. Yeah, yeah. That was when Pirlo just chipped it down the middle, didn't he, the winning penalty? Yeah. They were much better than us in that game, though. They were so yeah, they much were. better than us in that game. Yeah, yeah. that was a backs-to-the-wall job, wasn't it, from yeah. minute one? Yeah. Um, 2014 World Cup, that was South Three. Africa. That one didn't go out of the group, did we? Yeah, I was going to say, that was like, we didn't even score, I don't think. I think, yeah, I'm not sure we did or did you score right at the end? No, it was Uruguay when didn't... Gerard headed the ball back for Suarez. Yes, didn't Rooney? Yeah, Rooney gave yeah. us the lead in that game, didn't he? I think that was um, his Italy. first World Cup goal. Italy, story to set him up. I remember it. I was on my mate Stag do. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure because that was like it was the thing that was his first World Cup goal, wasn't it? And then that was it. Yeah, then we were coming home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was it. <laughs> um. Have we had since then? 2016. Iceland. Iceland. Ooh. Yeah. Rooney put us 1 0 up. And then they sort of, I think they got a bit too big for the boots, a bit arrogant, didn't they? Thought the job was done. Um, And then you obviously got 2018. That was semi final. No disgrace in that. 2020 penalties in the final. So, yeah, there's, I suppose the, the point to sort of make is these games quite often are quite, when we do go out, it's usually quite tight. I mean, take the Germany game away. Yeah. Um, there's either a bit of controversy, a red card, a dodgy goal, or we go out on penalties. Yeah. Or a combination of the two and the three. <laughs> <laughs> 
So if we are to go out, maybe it'll be, it's going to be fun. it'll be fun. Yeah, <laughs> there'll be some things happening. If you wanted yeah. to be over, overly critical, you can say that the reason we're going out on penalties so much is because we're drawing too many games, and mm. you know pr- perhaps it is we, we do have a bit of a, a safety first first nature to us. I think it started for me. I mean, it may have been before, but I think I really started noticing it under Sven Eriksson. He really, he really instilled in the team that you know the, the value in keeping hold of the ball and and trying to sort of like control the tempo and, and, and manage the pace of, of the game. And I think ever since then we've we've sort of tried to have that kind of style in a game, but we, sometimes we're just a little bit too cautious. I think we we've you know in the past definitely we've telegraphed everything that we're going to do. I think some of these young players that we've got now, some real special talents that, that they're still good at sticking to the team ethic and the team's plan. But as individuals, they, they've, we've got perhaps three or four at any given time that are real game-changer players yeah. and got a lot of potential. So it's just so exciting to have this side. I know that we've got most of these players for the next couple of tournaments as well. Yeah. Do you think that the fact, like I say with Ericsson there, he was sort of bringing in a continental approach once he having worked in Italy and that for a lot. Yeah, and our players were playing in different. He was picking players based on a different style of play in the Premier League. It was all quick paced. There was gap. There's always gaps in the Premier League, isn't there? Because the the action moves so quickly. Mm. And I think that when he was trying to get a slow build up, keep the ball, move it about, that the players weren't used to having to break down those kind of gaps at that point. Thinking you know, fifteen, twenty years ago. I think we we started to try and act a little bit more like a team that was going to go and control games and actually win competitions rather than being that plucky side that gave anybody a go and they were brave and got a little rub on the head as they were sent home by a, by a smarter team in the quarterfinals. And I think, he, to be fair with Ericsson, he did bring a bit of that to the team. This is how it's sort of played. This is how the teams that do well, they, the first thing they do is they get very comfortable with the ball and they learn how to control the game. So there's, there's some good sides and some good things about that way of being but I do think we've, we have been over the urge a little bit cautious and we've set up to keep a clean sheet first a lot but we have got the players to do better well, well you know what there's been a lot of talk here about going out to France not that on the head we're not going out to France we will be back we will be back reviewing a semi-final won't we against Morocco it's definitely going to be Morocco. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Portugal. Sorry, France. You're going over at this stage. We'll see you back. Lads, are you going to join me? Semi final? It's coming home, mate. I'll definitely be there. See you then. See ya. See ya. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.